Amen and amen. You may be seated. Wow. You know, I often think about sometimes some, when we choose songs and I've heard people say, whether it be at a concert, whether it be secular music, whether it be at church, and, you know, man, we, we kind of do the same song all the time. You know, the Bible says that that song will be sung throughout eternity without ceasing. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and what is to come. Think about that for a moment, that the angels in heaven right now sing of his glory and sing of his praise. And, and, and in fact, in heaven, some of you will be glad to know there will not be any preaching in heaven. Amen? No, that's just wrong. But there will be nothing but praises, nothing but adoration. In fact, in fact, just thinking about that for a moment, to realize the singing that's going on in heaven right now, as we gather in this place, in this date, we think about all the things that are going on around us. We think about all the difficulty. We think about all the hardships and the uncertainties with the election coming up. Yet God says he's fully aware of all of these things. Nothing happens. In fact, even a sparrow cannot fall to the ground unless what? God knows about it and allows it. The very hairs on your head, he says, are numbered. He knows everything about you. He knows your name. He knows your fears. He knows all that you're going to be, all that you're going to say, all that you've ever done. Yet watch this. He loves you anyway. I'm going to tell you something. That moves my heart this morning. In fact, let's just go to the Lord in a word of prayer if we may. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you today, and we ask you, God, to speak to our hearts, to change our lives today. God, because you and you alone are worthy. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Perhaps, I believe this to be true, the greatest privilege, the greatest thing, the greatest solace we have in life is our prayer. When I, when I began thinking about how I wanted to start out the first of the year for us this year, there's no question about it, God took me straight to the heartbeat of prayer. That prayer is what changes things. Prayer is what unlocks God's gift and God's will for our life. There's so many things that we have in our life, and I call potential, that are untapped, that will never realize itself in our lifetime, never come to fruition, the fruit that we could bear. I think when we get to heaven, the one thing we're going to want to know, because the Bible says we don't know what we will be, but when we see him, we'll be what? Like him. We'll begin to know things instantaneously. When we see him, we will know, and we will maybe look back and reflect and say, you mean I could have had that and that and that, or I could have done that, and I could have seen that come to fruition? And we say, yeah, but you never asked me. You never believed me for it. And I believe that prayer is that privilege, that untapped resource that will change our life, will change the course of history if we truly understood what prayer could do in and through our life. Amen? Because here's what I know to be true, and I'm gonna, this is going to hit some of you very funny, but let it marinate for a moment, and I'll come back and qualify it. God answers every prayer that you send up. Did you know that? Some of you are going, that's not true. I've been praying for a long, long time. Well, he does, but he does so in three ways. Number one, when we pray, and this is what we really like, he says yes. If you study the book of 1 Chronicles, you'll realize that Chronicles is a hard book to read, and it begins to unfold the lineage and, and people that this person begat. This per There's a bunch of names in there that you can't pronounce. So oftentimes we get to Chronicles, we just, this person begat, this person begat, this person, we just flip over and we jump somewhere to Isaiah, something we can understand. But if you're not careful in reading the Word of God, you'll miss a golden nugget situated in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. That right there in the middle of all of these people giving birth to these people, and it's showing a godly, kingly, priestly line that ultimately has its fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. But right in the middle of all of that, you hear about a young man named Jabez. And the Bible says, and there was Jabez, and, her, and, and her mom, his mom called him Jabez because he came in a time of difficulty. 
But Jabez, right in the middle of First Chronicles, when all of these things are happening, that doesn't seem like a lot of biblical stuff, right there situated in chapter 4 and verse 10, it says, and Jabez prayed a prayer. A very simple, but I submit to you, a very profound prayer. And he said, Lord, that you would bless me indeed. And that you would enlarge my coast. He was saying, give me a greater area of influence. And God, while you're doing that, may your hand be upon me. Keep me from evil that it will not harm me. And the Bible says something profound in First Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. The last words, and God granted him that which he requested. God said yes. One way that God answers questions is he says yes. We love that. The second one is probably one of the harder ones for us. It's found in John's gospel chapter 11 and verse 6. The Bible says in verses 1 through 5, leading up to this point, that there was a certain man named Lazarus who was in Bethany, and he had become very sick. And his two sisters, Martha and Mary, and it goes on to tell Mary was the one who, who anointed Jesus' feet with oil and wiped it with her hair. And it's showing, it's giving us a little bit of a premise to who this guy is. He is called a friend of Jesus. Jesus didn't call a lot of people friend. He didn't eat in a lot of people's houses. In fact, we want to see the recording of eating in two separate people's houses, and this being one of them. And he was away from Bethany. And the Bible says that, that Martha and Mary sent word, sent word saying, Hey, you know your friend, the one that you love, Lazarus? He's here and he's sick. And we need you to come here. The Bible says something profound in verse 6 of chapter 11 of John's gospel. The Bible says when Jesus heard that, he abode yet another two days where he was. And we know by looking at the map that it was about another day's walk. So what happened is he was saying, I can't come. I'm not coming. You know what he told him? He didn't say yes. He told him to wait. See, sometimes God tells you to wait. Why? And I'm glad you asked that because if we read the rest of the story, it unfolds a pretty simple but yet profound principle when God says wait. We don't like wait. We want it right now. We live in not in a, in, in, in a pressure cooker. We live in a microwave generation. We want to pop it in and have it right now. We want our prayer life to be the same way. But sometimes God says wait. And in this case, he told Mary and Martha, I'm not going to come now. Why? His disciples said, why is he not sick? Yeah, he's sick unto death. Oh, not really. And they go through this dialogue. And when he finally gets there, he's four days late. The Bible says that Mary and Martha said, you know, you can't help him now because he stinks. He smells bad. He's been in the grave four days. You've got to study Hebrew culture to understand that after the third day, he was dead as dead could be. The festivities, the, the mourning, all that was, was over. And Jesus just came in. He says, take me where you laid him. Show me the place. And then he steps out on the side of that mountain and he says, Lazarus. He calls him by name. Some theologians have said over the years that, it, that if he had not called Lazarus by name, every dead person in that cemetery that day would have got up. Because he has the gift of life. Amen? But watch what he said. Lazarus, come forth. And when he came forth, he literally wiggled out because he still had the grave clothes on. And he said, loose him and let him go. And, and, and we reflect back upon that story now. We realize that sometimes when God says, wait, just maybe, maybe, he's saying, I don't want to just heal you right now. I want to give you life that's going to change the world. See, sometimes God says no. Sometimes, sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says maybe. He says, wait. And then watch this on the third time. And this one is the worst for us. It's the hardest to swallow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, the Apostle Paul, writer of nearly two-thirds of the New Testament, a man who literally changed the face of the world, starting in Asia Minor, planting churches, writing churches to Galatia, Philippi, Ephesians, and Colossians, and so forth. 
And he came to a point in his own life. And if you read the doxology of his life found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you realize that he was an encourager even at the moment of death where he was encouraging Peter, his protege, to press on who would go on to pastor the church at Ephesus. But So we see this guy is not just crying out to God for some sake of just heal me because I don't want a difficult time. No, no, no. We believe that he was crying out to God because he wanted to further the gospel, which makes sense to me, that God would have healed him so that he could go and do what God had called him to do. That, that, that makes sense to me to ask God to do what you had called me to do equip me God give me the resources to do what you've called me to do and he says I prayed three times that God would deliver me from this thorn in my flesh we don't know what that was we know it was Satan who came to buffet him that he would not be considered high-minded that he would not become prideful perhaps that he would buffet him that he would be less than so that maybe he could be greater than because the Bible says if a man would humble himself God would exalt him in due time but if a man would humble himself, he will abase him or humiliate him, press him down. And watch what happens. The Bible says something profound here, John. It says that Jesus said no. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says wait, and sometimes he says no. But if you don't read the rest of that, you miss the beauty of the no. Because he says, it's in your weakness, Paul, that my strength has been made perfect. How many of you know God is perfect already? Wave your hand at me like you just don't care. Okay, but watch this. If that's true, then what is he saying here that my strength is made perfect in your weakness? I'll tell you what he's saying. He's saying that when you're weak and you're doing my work, people don't look at you. They look at my strength, and my strength becomes manifest. It shows itself to the world. I'm going to show you this in just a moment. Because today I want to give you, if you're taking notes, I preached this sermon 15 and a half years ago. It was the fifth sermon that I ever wrote that I ever preached when I was a youth pastor in LaGrange, Georgia. I preached it at revivals, but I haven't preached it in, in, in about four years. And it's a, it's, a, it's a sermon that I believe can unleash the power of prayer in and through your life. It is literally this prayer. These prayers have changed my life. I want to bring you, if you turn to your Bible, to James chapter 5, verse 16. We're going to read the final part of verse 16. Keeping in mind, James is, a, is the half-brother of Jesus writing a letter, a general letter to people scattered abroad and Christians that are fearful. And he tells them about the power of prayer. Verse 13 of chapter 5, he talks about call, if there's any sick among you, call upon the elders elders of the church, anoint them with oil and pray over them that they may be healed. He speaks about confessing your faults one to another, that the sick may be healed. And he goes through all this. And in the last part of verse 16, he says these words. And I want you to look at it. I think we have it on the screen or we're going to get it. Maybe. We don't have it. We do? Okay. Don't worry about it. It's in your Bible. <laughs> the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's say that again. I want you all to say the last word with me. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's do it one more time. I want you to say it real loud on that last word. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Then the, then the opposite of that would be that the mundane routine, just sitting down praying because you're supposed to do that before dinner, before bed, or something like that. Then the mundane routineness of prayer avails little, if anything. Our prayer life 
It's so important, yet we do it mundanely, routinely, as if it's just something we just have to punch a ticket and go, I prayed today, I gave to the church, I witnessed to my coworker, blah, blah, blah. And when in fact, the Bible says that fervently, that's effectually, that's that sincerity, the power, like we said a moment ago, I just happen to be a believer that when we pray for Esther's baby in her womb, that the power of prayer invokes the move of the Holy Spirit right there at that I believe that. Does anybody else believe that in the house today? The effectual, fervent prayer. I want to give you a sermon today. Five points, and I'm going to go quickly, so I want you to listen quickly. Okay? Five prayers that will change your life. Five prayers that will change your life. If you pray them, and I want you to, I'm going to give full disclosure here. These are dangerous prayers. I might even say they're explosive prayers. But I want you to consider for a moment dynamite. Dynamite by itself is a dangerous thing. It's a weapon. Dynamite is explosive, consumes, burns. But you can use dynamite for a lot of things. In fact, if you look into the heart of mining for, for, for diamonds and rubies, deep into the heart of the earth, covered by the years and years layers of soil and sediment, dynamite can uncover the beauty hidden within. Gold, for, for example, they find the blue clay, and they will go into the blue clay right before you get to the rock, and they'll realize that's where gold has been deposited over the years of water and soil covering it up. And they'll take dynamite and remove, watch this, remove all that stuff that's on top to reveal something that's precious. You see where I'm going? You see, prayer can do the same. Some of you have been hurt so bad in your life, some in your spiritual life, some in churches, some in your own homes, some by marriages, and so forth and so on. And you have laid layer upon layer upon layer of stuff and junk, and your heart, watch this, has become calloused. And nothing can penetrate it. You won't let God in. You won't let loved ones in. You won't let anyone in. Praying a prayer like this literally explodes that callous heart and opens up that golden nugget of truth and potential that lies within you. Amen? The first one is very simple. God, search me. If you read Psalm 139, you'll realize the psalmist for 22 verses, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 22, he speaks of the sovereignty of God for 22 solid verses. You've heard me say this many times if you've been around for for any amount of time at our church, that for, for verse after verse after verse, he speaks to the glory of God, the wonder of God, the sovereignty of God. He says, if I sit down, you're there. If I stand up, you're there. Before I say a word, you know it right well before it comes off of my tongue. If I go into the inner place... You know what, Amy? He knows that baby in the mother's womb. He said, because before I was formed in the belly of my mother, you were there. You knew me. And he even goes on to say that, hey, even if I go into Sheol and to the place of the grave and to the place of the dead, you're there because you're an omnipresent God. You're everywhere. And why is that cool? Because when you're over there praying in the corner, being low, and I'm over here in the corner praying, he's right there with you. He's right there with me. He was my, he's with my friends over in Africa. He's with Ravi Zacharias this morning preaching the word. He's with this church. He's with that. Anywhere that they invoke prayer, he's right there with them intimately. And watch this, personally. But for 22 verses, he says, this is who you are. And it makes no sense if you don't understand and rightly divide the word of truth here today. For 22 verses, he speaks of who God is and his glory and his sovereignty. Yet in verse uh, 23, he kind of takes a right turn, if you will. And he says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wickedness in me. And lead me in your way everlasting. 22 verses, he speaks of how much God knows. 
Yet it seems a little weird that he would, in that verse, say, now search me. Let me tell you why he does that. Because there's a huge difference, church, in you knowing God knows everything about you. The difference in that and you opening the door to every closet of your life and saying, God, come in. See, it's not enough for me to know that God knows my faults. I have to open the door and say, change me. See, it's not enough to know that God knows the bitterness that I'm holding in my heart for saying, search me. See if there's any wickedness in me. See if there's anything holding back your potential and you're moving in my life, God, and remove it. In fact, Psalm 51, you don't have to turn there. Psalm 51 was written by the same man after his sin with Bathsheba that out of it conceived a son that went on later to be basically the downfall to the whole kingdom. People got killed. Sons were born. Some sons died. I mean, you just wouldn't believe the unfolding at one man's sin. And watch this. In Psalm 51, where Nathan the prophet came to him and said, You're the man. You're the one that's sinning above the nation. You know what he says? It's me, Lord, and against you and you alone have I sinned. And then he penned the words to Psalm 51 and verse 10. And when he said these words, watch this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew the right spirit within me. See, some of us need to say, search me, God. See if there's anything in me that contaminates the Holy Spirit living in this vessel. You know what the Bible says? Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? Do you not know that? To say, search me, is, is inclining myself to say, God, I am allowing you full access I know that sounds sacrilegious because we're saying, well, God can do anything. God can come into anywhere. He's all places. Yeah, yeah, but watch this. God will in no way ever, ever, ever impose himself upon you. You have to open the door. Revelation chapter 3 says that, doesn't it? Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Artist's rendering shows that he's standing on the outside of the church a picture of the heartbeat of the person, the believer. We're the church. We're the bride of Christ. And there's no door handle. That Jesus will not press himself in and come in to where he's not welcome. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear me and open the door, I will come in. And I will sup with him and he with me. I won't leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will abide with you and you with me. And John's gospel said, if I abide in him, I can bring forth much fruit. But you got to pray a prayer that's going to break the direction of your life and clean out the dark places that only you know. And it's a prayer called search me. Number two. This one gets a little tougher. God, stretch me. God, stretch me. If you look into the word of God, you realize in Isaiah chapter 53, it's, it's speaking of the gentle lamb that came before the slaughter. It's a messianic prophecy written by the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 53, he speaks about being smitten by God. He speaks about being wounded for our transgressions. He speaks about the lamb that came innocently, willingly put for the slaughter. It's a messianic prophecy speaking to the cross of Jesus Christ, who was not killed, who was not captured. He willingly, watch this, came to this earth, lived a life sinless and perfect in all ways. At 30 years of age, entered into an earthly ministry. At 33 and a half, he entered himself into the place that he knew he would come, watch this, not before he was sent to the world, but before the earth was ever framed. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And watch this, when he stepped on the scene, he came willingly. Psalm, Isaiah 53 says, 54, 2 says this. I love this verse. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch the curtains of thine habitations. Watch this, I love this word. Spare not. It's actually two words. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. You're like going, I don't even understand what that means. That's beautiful, Mark, but I don't get it. Let me, let me clarify it. 
The New Living Translation says it this way. Listen to this. This blows my mind. God gave me this for our church. God gave me this for our church when we started. And I've never shared that until right now. Listen to what it says. It's just for for me and the Lord. And today, you get to have it. You're welcome. Watch this. Uh, Isaiah 54. Enlarge your house. Build on additions. Spread out your home. Spare no expense. Soon and soon you will be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettled ruined cities. You see, if the scope of our vision is here, rest assured that's the only effect you're ever going to have in this world. But if the scope of my vision and your vision and our vision is as far as the eye can see, as far as the east is from the west, then all we're doing is saying, God, we believe you at your word. Doggone it, church, listen to me. You have only stepped into a portion of what God wants to do in your life. But your vision is too small. Jabez said, enlarge my coast. Enlarge my sphere of effectiveness, he said. And God granted him that which he requested. Then it goes to know then, as we look into this, we realize that our prayer should be something like this. God, stretch my vision for the lost. Now, listen, look to your neighbor say, it might get on your toes right here. Go ahead and tell them. They need to know that. It's a disclaimer. Stretch my vision for the lost. Stretch, watch this, this one gets scary. Stretch my faith. Can I tell you how he'll stretch your faith? By allowing you to go through a time of dryness. A time of nothingness. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of what? Things, say it with me, not seen. Faith is not when everything's going great and things are just, man, look at what God's doing. You know, and all this stuff just piling on, going, God, you're great. Listen, that, that's awesome, and I get it, and there are times of that. But can you, when you're walking through life of dryness and nothingness, hopelessness, God, I'm praying, God, I'm praying, and nothing's happening, God, I'm praying. Can you just praise him then? Because, see, it's in those moments that God is stretching me. And watch this. Here's what I believe to be true. The Bible says there's no temptation but such is common to man. God is faithful. And he will not, watch this, tempt you or try you above that which you can bear. And with that temptation, he will make a set with me, a way of escape. You see, sometimes I'm stretched. When I pray this prayer, God, stretch me. He's stretching me. Watch this. Stretch, stretch my vision for the lost. God, let me see people out there the way you see them. Stretch my vision for faith. And watch this. Stretch the mark that you would allow me to make on this earth through your love exhumed through me. Now watch, this is why I ask you to kind of pull your toes back a little bit. When you pray a prayer like that, God's going to call you to love people that you otherwise could not, would not give a second to. People that smell different than you. Oh yeah, he'll call you to love the stinky of the world. He'll call you to love the downtrodden of the world. He'll call you to love the person. Watch this. This is where it gets tough. Hold your wife's hand. Hold it tight. This is where God will call you to be stretched beyond your own capability to walk in the graces of God so that you even love the person who has hurt you. See, because when I'm stretched, watch this. When I'm stretched, I begin to love with the love of Jesus. There are people, and we don't mean to do it, but we do it. 
there are people still today. Now, I believe this is the house of God, should be treated as the house of God, should be reverenced as the house of God. But let me tell you something. A person on the outside who doesn't understand the house of God, doesn't understand the love of God, don't understand the forgiveness of God, don't understand the newness of God, if they walk through that door and they were drinking at 4 o'clock this morning, they come in smelling like a brewery or some woman that was out, out there in the world living a life of ill repute and she walks in and everybody goes, yeah, that's the one. Let me tell you something. That's who we're called to love. Stretch your vision to see people come in that look different, act different, smell different, and watch this, are different because they're out there and they don't understand what you understand. Doggone it, get a heart for people out there because if we don't, we're gonna, can you imagine the day, this ain't even in my notes, but can you imagine the day that we stand at the great white throne judgment? Revelation 20, 21 says, we will stand at the great white throne judgment and watch person after person after person that we can't even think fathom the maybe billions of people that will walk up to God and he'll say depart from me you worker of iniquity I never knew you and literally be ushered into a place of torment forever and forever and forever and you say you know what they deserve it and you know what no they don't no more than you do the only difference is somebody shared the gospel with this dirty vessel somebody had a vision in 1992, October 29th, when I came back from Desert Storm, high-minded, pious, didn't care what anybody thought, had the world by the throat, didn't care, thought I knew everything. And somebody said, do you know, without Jesus, you're going to die? Yeah, I know that. Did you know Jesus died for you? Yeah, I know that. Yeah, but did you know he loved you in spite of you? Yeah, I didn't know that. Do you know if you call upon his name, he'll save you? Need to be stretched, church. Thirdly, real quickly, I'm moving fast. Man, y'all can head on back up. Thirdly, not only do we want to be searched, we want to be stretched. And this is where it happens. This is where it all changes. This is where it rocks my world. God, break me. The truth is, and I, and I have to do it in this order or else some of y'all would have left after the second one if I had to put break me before stretch me. Some of y'all went, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out in that breaking thing. We pray for God to give us strength to witness. We pray for God to give us strength to endure. We pray for God to give us strength to heal. We pray for strength in our marriage. We pray for strength in our children. We pray for all of these things. Nothing wrong with them. I get it. I pray them. But if I truly understand the word of God, I find the greatest move of God through his people is when they're completely broken. We see that in the Apostle Paul, don't we? Remove, I mean, if anybody had a right to pray that and move the heartbeat of God, it would have been the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's sitting here taking, taking diction from, from the Lord of hosts, for goodness sakes. Writing the words that God is pinning through his spirit, inspired, moving over him. And he's writing, and he says, hey, God, you know what? You called me to do this, and I'm glad you did, and I'm cool to do it. He ultimately died by being beheaded by Roman government because of his sharing of the gospel. If anybody had a right, say, hey, hook a brother up, God. You call me to spread this. I don't know if it was his eyesight. Some people say that. I don't know. It doesn't tell us, so there's no point in arguing what the thorn was. But just, let's just say it was his eyesight. And he's pinning like going, God, okay, listen, I got like one letter on this parchment. Can you give me a little better eyesight so that I can? And God says, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. I'm not doing that. I want you to stay broken, Paul, because it's in that moment that people will see not Paul's strength, but my strength through Paul. Break me. 
Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. Here's the deal. Here's why I say this. Because here's what I'm praying today, and this is what you need to start praying in the context of breaking me. Watch this. God, break up that ground that is around me that has covered up all this stuff that I know you want to get out. Watch this. God, break this pattern of bitterness in my spirit. Bitterness is a cancer that will destroy you, church. Bitterness will not allow you to be stretched, and you will never love people that are unlovable because you're too stinking bitter. You don't want them to get what you got. Break, watch this, break the area of unforgiveness. I've said this a thousand times, but somebody needs to hear it today. That person who hurts you, you know them. You know who they are, right? The moment I said that, it went straight defaulted to that person who hurts you. You know what the Bible says? That if I don't forgive others, then my God in heaven will not forgive me. I'm going to share with you in the weeks to come. I'm going to start sharing with you about uh, the, the, the Lord's Prayer. And I believe it's going to change your life when you really see what that prayer invokes. It's the only place where Jesus told us how to pray. And yet we look at it as some pray, prayer that we pray with little football players around, you know, the, the football huddle. You know what I mean, Dave? We used to pray that word peewees, grass cutter. No, it's powerful. Break that forgiveness, unforgiveness in my life. Do you know why? Because if I don't walk around with the spirit of forgiveness and grace, just maybe, maybe God is saying, you don't really have what I have offered you. See, because here's the thing. If I wake up in the morning, and I don't have a, I don't have a bag, but let's just, is this tied down? It was. All right, watch this. Some of you came in here today with junk, and it's in, it's in your box. Oh, it's ugly, too. It's, there's some ugly stuff in here. And you know what it is, but no, none of us do. We didn't see it. We just see, hey, how y'all doing? God bless you. Hallelujah. You know, that's what we see. I'm praying for you. You want to come to my house for dinner? And all this junk you brought in with you. Areas of unforgiveness, bitterness, addictions, negativity. Oh, it's in the box. It's in there. Pride. It's all in the box. And you came in today and you put on that face. And we all do it. We all have it. God, break me. And God says, all right, lay it down. Because I died for that. You're forgiven. Walk away. I've said this before, but this is what happens every single day every single Sunday. Some of you will come down and you will drop that box of stuff, of junk at the altar. You'll walk away. Liberated. You get out of that door and you'll leave and you'll drive down the road. You'll go to Cafe Nisi's. You'll go to, you'll go to uh, Peachtree. You'll go to Norris's. You'll go to McDonald's. You'll go wherever you go and, and you'll get through eating. Man, that was a good service. Man, that was a great. God was moving and it'll come to you. I gotta go back and go back in here and get that. You'll break in this place and you'll come down here and you'll find your junk because it's laying amidst all this other junk that people lay down. And you'll head right back out the same way you walked in. Monday morning you'll wake up and you'll go, there's my junk. It becomes a monkey on your back. You never change because you just can't be broken. The reality is, is you'll never be liberated to love, to worship, to care, to adore, to give, to minister, to be loved until you just take and just 
lay that at the feet of Jesus. Gideon, and I think Judges chapter 2, God had called him to go defeat the Midianites. There's a lot of Gideons in this room. And God said, take your men that you have. He had 32,000 men. He said, you got too many. Because if y'all win with 32,000 men against this great army, you're going to think you did it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the guys, the 32,000, and tell every one of them that's afraid, send them home. 22,000 men got their junk and went to the house. It left 10,000. Gideon says, all right, God, now I'm ready. You know what God said? No, 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 you're not ready yet. Now I want you to take those 10,000, go down to the lake, go to the riverside, and I want you to let them drink water. Gideon's like, okay, God, you're a little crazy, but okay. So he goes down, and he says, the ones that put their mouth to the, to the water, I want you to send them home. But the ones who take their hand and bring the water up to them, I want you to take those and go defeat. <laughs> That's kind of unorthodox, isn't it? Especially when you realize that all but 300 put their mouth to the water. So we sent them home. 9,700 went home, 300. And Gideon's probably sitting there going, what? Because he had been broken. And then God called him. I love this. God called him to that place of intimacy. And here's what he told him. (laughs) I love this. I've already given you this victory. Did you hear what I said? He didn't say, now take this. In fact, they did. They went on and took trumpets. They took pottery. They didn't fire a single arrow. They didn't sling a rock. They just simply blew the shofar, dropped the piece of pottery on the ground, and the the Midianites started killing each other. 300. 300. They beat an army 100 times their size. Because all God was saying was, break this mindset that you have. Be weak. Watch me be great. Real quickly. And we pray, God, lead me. God, search me, stretch me, break me. God, lead me. Matthew, I'm not going to read it, but Matthew's gospel. The Bible says Jesus went into the, to the garden of Gethsemane. Watch what he said. He said, you guys sit here and you pray. Then he took Peter, James, and John. He said, I'm taking you a little, I'm taking you yonder. You guys, you sit here and pray. But the Bible says profoundly, Jesus went a little further. He went alone. And when I say lead me, i got to come to the place that Jesus came to in the garden where he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And can I tell you something? The will of the Father took his son to the cross. Are you willing to go where he leads you? Hey, God, I'll follow you anywhere, Peter said. No, you won't. In fact, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows this day. And we say it all the time. Hey, God, I'll die for you. God, I'll die for you. Would you really do that if somebody had a gun to your head and said, die or renounce Jesus as your Savior? Well, yes, I love Jesus. No, you won't because we won't even live for him. If you won't live for him, you most definitely won't die for him. What would this year look like if you just live for Jesus and say, leave me? Wherever you go, that's where I'll go. I don't care where it is. Okay, sell your business. Good, I'll go. I want you to sing. I can't sing. That ain't what you asked. You said, I'll follow, then sing. Teach. I don't want to teach. Okay, but you're not following me. I said, go teach. Because the last one, we want to be searched, we want to be stretched, we want to be broken, we want to be led ultimately to this point. God, use me. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. God said, who will I send? Who will go for us? 
The prophet Isaiah said, here I am. Y'all look at me. Everybody stare a hole through me. Don't miss this. Who will go for us? Isaiah said, here I am. Here I am. Send me. I'll go. Do you know what he didn't do? All right, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? The prophet Jeremiah, same words. He said, oh, I, I had a plan for you before I framed the world. What's the plan? All right, I want you to go preach to that apostate Judah. Oh, and by the way, as you go preach, no one will ever convert. No one will ever follow. How would you like to start a church like that? I want you to go start a church over in that corner of town. And guess what? No one will join. No one will get saved. You won't have a choir. You won't have a budget. Just go start a church because that's what I called you to do. Why would God do that? It's about following Him. Because at the end of the day, it's not what you did. It's not what you volunteered for. It's not how many rush events you held or how many mission trips you went on or how many, how many offerings that you gave in the place. No, no, no. The only thing that's going to matter is what did you do with Jesus? Did you share it in the most cavalier of ways? Or were you intentional about everything that you did? To close with this. love this verse Psalm 91 and 1 he that dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty these prayers will invoke heaven's throne God to move in your life it will usher you into a secret place that no one else can go I'm not talking about like the war room the movie although that's awesome prayer I get it it's amazing I'm talking about that hidden place that secret place that only you can go with God some of y'all know what I'm talking about I'm going to ask you all over the room to bow your heads with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Do you know Jesus today as your Lord and Savior? Do you know that you know that you know if you die today that you'd spend eternity in heaven? If you don't know that, then you came here today not to pray a group of five prayers, but to pray one. God, will you save me? God, will you save me? The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus. And I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Jesus, will you save me? If you pray that prayer today and you ask Jesus in your heart, right quick, without hesitation, lift your hand right now. Lift it up high. If you pray and ask Jesus Christ into your heart, lift it up high real quick. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask a few people to stand down front. Just prayer counselors. Stacy, if you would, come stand over here. Here's what we're going to do. Moms and daddies, young people, look at me for just a moment. You want your life to be changed for the glory of God? You want to make a difference in 2016? You want it to be different than just everyday mundane stuff that just comes? Don't live a come what may. Live a life of what God has ordered. To live into your God, full-given God potential. Here's what I'm going to charge you to do today, church. Not January the 1st, today. Right this second. Mamas and daddies, if you're tired of just getting by, come and pray. Husbands, wives, if you're tired of just living a a marriage that's a, a mediocre life, come and pray. Young people, you want to see God move in your school and in your home and your youth ministry and your life. You don't want to wait till you're 30 and you missed half of your life before you start being effective. Come and pray. 
Men and women of God, stand to your feet today. Let's stand to our feet right now. Everybody in the house, here's what I want you to do. What would happen if we all prayed? What would happen if we joined our heart today in one mind and one accord? I'm going to stand right here. There's people that are pray with you. If you ask Jesus in your heart, come and talk to them. The doors of our church stand open today. If you want to be a part of Northridge Church, we'd love to have you. But if God just spoke to you today in some kind of way, some kind of way, you don't even have to tell me what, just walk this aisle and shake my hand and turn around and walk back to your seat. While they sing, whatever God's called you to do today, do it right now for the honor and the glory of God. But don't just stand there. Don't just keep doing the same thing. You're going to keep getting the same results. Make one, one small difference and it'll change your life. While they sing, you come. If God has spoke to you today, you come. Shake my hand.